0: I'm Holly and I'm Haley. Welcome to Mountain Mysteries Tales from Appalachia. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Welcome back we're happy to have you again for another week of craziness. I know. Uh, We got some, well, Haley got some feedback last night um, that someone really enjoyed our episode about the crematory.
1: Yeah, yes. Um, My friend Emily, who I um, see at Brewery Trivia (laughs) every week, um, said they, her and her husband both really enjoyed um, the podcast, but she had been listening to um, the episode Holly did about the crematory the crazy crematory um and really enjoyed it and was slightly scared that we knew that much about death but
0: it's okay it's all right we are we are (laughs) here to educate and to scare the hell out of you Mm -hmm. i mean that's the whole point
1: yeah i mean we're in kind of a spooky our spooky location this week
0: anyway i don't understand why we keep coming back we are (laughs) gluttons for punishment i know well it's the only
1: place we can come um that I have the like the door code and <laughs> we can get in. That here. you're allowed to. Yes, that we're allowed to come into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Haley's
0: been banned from a lot of places. Well, so I just can't kidding. go a lot of places in this town. Well, are you ready to hear this really sad, really weird story? Always. <laughs> okay. I'm always ready. All right. So we are headed back to July of 1966 where the number one song was Wild Thing by the Trogs. I love it. You know that one, right? I do. Wild Thing. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that was the number one song. On July 24th of that year, a United States Air Force plane was shot down by North Vietnamese over Hanoi. And it was the first U.S. plane lost in the Vietnam War. Wow. Yeah. On July 29th, Bob Dylan, the singer-songwriter, was injured in a motorcycle accident, and he actually wasn't seen in public for over a year after that. Crazy. So I don't know if, you know, he had to have, like, work done or reconstructive surgery, or Mm. he was just like, you know what? I need some time. Maybe that. Maybe some good songs came out of that. Yeah, that's a traumatizing experience. (laughs) Actually, my favorite song uh, was written by him. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. I love it. All right. So now I wanna give a disclaimer for this episode because it does feature the murder of a child. Um so if that feels too intense or your ears aren't ready for it, maybe you're a little young, perhaps just float on to next week in Haley's episode. Yes. Yes. I was
1: gonna say I don't think mine has anything to do with children, so
0: Okay, good. I was good. I hope, so don't know if I'm there just yet. <laughs> putting that preface out there, you know, just just so you're you're warned, all right? Okay, so we are headed to Shelby, North Carolina. Shelby is actually a small town that lies between Asheville and Charlotte and makes up a large portion of Cleveland County. This is July 27th, 1966. That morning, 11-year-old Brenda Sue Brown got into an argument with her younger sisters over, what else? Makeup. How old is she? 11. Okay. This was a, this is one of those powder compacts, you know, that you open and has Mm -hmm. the mirror with it and the little, you know, powder puff. So they got into it, you know, whose is it? It's mine. The typical. So she was the middle of nine children, which included, I know, six boys and three girls. So Brenda was born on May 19th, 1955 to parents Lloyd and Gladys Brown. Brenda Sue was an outgoing and happy child who enjoyed playing outside and caring for her younger siblings. On that morning, Brenda Sue and her sisters are arguing over the makeup, back and forth. Finally, her mother (laughs) broke up the argument. You know, I can hear it now. Girls, girls, stop, stop here. She gives Brenda the compact, allows her to have it, and says to Brenda, okay, here's the compact. I need you to walk your six-year-old sister, Patricia, to the Head Start class. Mm-hmm. It was about two blocks away, so it wasn't super far. Brenda had walked her there before, so she was like, Yeah, sure, and she agreed. So she and her sister left the family home before 8 a.m. Brenda should have returned home within a half hour or so, but as time went on, there was no sign of Brenda Sue, and her mother became increasingly alarmed. That wasn't like her. It should have taken 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, by 10.15 that morning, Brenda's mother began driving through the neighborhood looking for her daughter, but to no avail. She eventually went door-to-door, asking the neighbors and anyone else walking the two blocks in between their house and the school if they had seen her, but no one had seen or heard from her. She checked with the school, and Patricia was there, so obviously Brenda Sue dropped her off, so she knew that something must have happened in between dropping off Patricia and coming back to the house. So by 11 a.m. Gladys was pretty much overcome with panic, Mm -hmm. which any parent would be, um, and alerted the the local police. She described Brenda Sue as 11 years old with long brown hair and bangs. She had brown eyes and a small gap in her front teeth. so cute. I know, the picture of her, she's adorable. Mm -hmm. That morning she had on a red and white dress with patent leather shoes and was carrying the makeup compact. Armed with details about Brenda, the police began searching the area for the missing child. I can't imagine being the parents at this point. Yeah, I n-
1: n- no. I mean, I'm not I'll have I don't have kids, but when I'm like watching somebody else's kids or like with somebody with their kids like at the park or something like that and I lose sight of that kid for like even like a second that feel of panic that's like in your chest I can't that's like your every day yeah like if you've lost a kid like you just feel that panic all the time
0: absolutely I don't know what and you know in 1966 you lived in a relatively safer world Mm -hmm. um and so of course you're like yeah walk your sister to school you don't think anything about it and you know shelby was a pretty safe yeah you know it wasn't like they had just tons and tons of crime that we knew of right at 6 45 that evening police were searching a wooded area near south lafayette street now south lafayette street was very close to the brown family home it was also very busy so mm-hmm. lots of cars back and forth It was there in the wooded area that police discovered Brenda Sue's nude body Mm. haphazardly covered with brush, leaves, and recently cut limbs. On top of the brush that covered Brenda's body was a precisely folded red and white dress and the powder compact her mother had given her that morning. Close to Brenda's body was a large bloodstained rock. During the police investigation of the crime scene, and during the forensic examination of the body, it was determined that Brenda was killed due to blunt force trauma to the head. She had been beaten with a rock, the one found nearby, which caused her skull to be fractured into 12 pieces. Oh my God. So, I mean, angry. Yeah. That's someone who's really angry yeah. to bash your head in. That's crazy. Um, an autopsy suggested that while Brenda was found in the nude, she had actually not been sexually assaulted one weird saving grace, I guess. I don't... Oh, my gosh. Police theorized that whomever did this must have been on foot. Um, This theory was based on proximity to South Lafayette Street, which was a very busy thoroughfare. And if a person had just parked their car to, you know, drag her into the woods or had kidnapped her in a car, and someone would have seen that and, like, have noticed a car parked there. Right. You know, that would be out of the ordinary. So they really felt because her body was found 150 feet from this really busy traffic way that someone was walking Mm. which oh like someone's just walking and decides hey let me kill this young girl that yeah it feels weird and it you do wonder like
1: Was this someone who was stalking her? Right. Was she being watched? Like somebody who knew? Because it's kind of weird. Like it's a two block area. Like it seems odd that somebody was just like a random person was just there.
0: Yeah. And that's pretty early in the morning too. Yeah. You know, it's just so strange. So to me, this speaks to someone who was maybe in a hurry, Mm. but yet premeditated.
1: Right. Somebody who had been watching her. It almost sounds like, to me, maybe the intent was to assault her Mm -hmm. and then panicked. To sexually assault her. Yeah, to sexually assault her. Panicked. Like, maybe hit her over the head with a rock to, like, subdue her or something. And then either got, like, enraged or whatever and just kept hitting her. Or...
0: Maybe she said something that he didn't like, and I don't know. You know, maybe she yelled out, yeah, Yeah. and he tried to subdue her and just overkill.
1: Crazy,
0: absolutely, yeah. And so, not just that, but I look at premeditation in that. Did you bring something with you to chop down branches? Oh yeah, because these these were cut freshly cut branches. Like, I mean. Could you cut them with just like a maybe, just a knife you had in your pocket? Like, I wouldn't think a Swiss Army knife would cut through branches.
1: Not like big, like
0: twigs maybe? They use the term branches, not twigs. Okay. No, I'm not seeing your little pocket (laughs) knife doing that. I am one foot and I have a chainsaw. Like, that's just... Could it
1: have been maybe they were like,
0: like tree trimmers? (laughs) <laughs> maybe and and maybe they were twigs. Maybe that just wasn't. It said branches. But so freshly cut. Maybe they were already cut. Maybe somebody else. Maybe cut them so. They... Maybe so. That's just and a they weird just detail. Move that. It it was really strange to me. So, you know, had this person been stalking Brenda, was you know she just walking by herself and it presented the opportunity. Mm. You know, so at the time, police were able to narrow down their search to two suspects. Oh, okay. The first was a balding white male who had exposed his penis to Brenda Sue's sister several days before Brenda Sue's murder. And remember, Brenda Sue's sisters were younger than her. So this person who exposed himself um, clearly wanted to do so in front of young children. And
1: this is the 60s? It is. 1966.
0: 1966.
1: Okay. I'm just, and I don't want to like put any judgment on the mom or the dad, like parents at all. But, but go ahead, because I think you're going to. <laughs> I'm say, people already sent us nasty things, so I'm going to get more mean emails about this, but whatever.
0: You can be mean to Haley. It's but fine. Not it doesn't, no, no,
1: really, just kidding. It yeah. takes a lot to hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> that's a challenge.
0: Um, but don't try, because that's mean.
1: Go ahead. Um, no, but like if someone has exposed themselves to one of my children days before, I'm probably not gonna let them walk anywhere by themselves. Mhm. Just think. I mean, just thinking out loud. Yeah. But again, I mean, maybe she, maybe she had to. Maybe she didn't have a choice. Like,
0: the mom was like working at home or like. Well, and it, it does. Um make me think, like, what was the situation that it happened in? Like, were they just outside in the front yard? So were they actually at their home and somebody did this? Were they at the mall? Were they, you know, I I mean... mean,
1: Yeah, if it was somewhere else and it happened, then that's one thing. But um, in my mind, I was thinking it was, like, on this walk to school that says it happened.
0: Right. And I'm Mm like,
1: no, That means you don't get to walk by yourself anymore. From
0: (laughs) from my knowledge, this didn't happen during the walk to school. I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't said, but I mean, you know, it really could have happened anywhere right. and it could have been, you know, sometimes they said, you know, balding male, so he wasn't young, but you know, sometimes like young guys will be like, oh, let me moon you. And maybe, I don't know. It seems but, though. a six year old. Yeah. It seems like this was his kick. Yeah. So. I digress. So the individual was not named, and for some reason they weren't able to find him. They knew it happened. They knew a general description of what he looked like, but they didn't know where he was. Okay. So maybe, maybe some so. crazy. I. Anyway, so the other suspect was a 13-year-old mentally challenged African-American boy by the name of Robert Roseborough. Mm. Robert had been seen by witnesses walking alone in the area that morning, and he also lived just a few hundred yards from where Barbara's body was found. Do you hear it? A... Mm-hmm. I
1: did for a second. I thought it was the most car alarm. I loved how we can pick up all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't hear it anymore. Robert was brought into the police station for questioning. Um, he was questioned by Officer Harold Smith, but chose to remain silent, just Good sitting news. there. Mm-hmm and not answering any of the officer's questions. And to Smith, the officer, uh, Robert's silence made him appear even more suspicious. I don't know. Part of me feels like um, he already had a judgment. Yeah.
1: I don't like this. I don't like the way this is going. There's some twists in this, so. Okay. I'm just like, that makes me uncomfortable. A
0: bit. <laughs> Strap in. Huh. Uh, it wasn't made clear if Robert had an attorney or his family was even present when he was questioned, which if not, that just makes me angry. How old was he? Thirteen.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, Thirteen,
0: no. and he's mentally challenged. Right. So, you know, I have that, how dare you interview a 13-year-old child, much less one who's handicapped. And this um, is the 60s, and he's black. Exactly. And, okay. In And in Shelby. Shelby. Yeah. Which is still,
1: I think, predominantly white, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this bothers me that there's no parent present. At least in the articles I've read, it didn't present that. Mm-hmm. Um and he didn't have any kind of proper representation. No lawyer there to say, "Hey, nope, my is is he under arrest because if not, you know, we're we're, we're out of here. here." Exactly. <laughs> oh, and we said that in unison. Mm-hmm. We're out of here. So while Roseboro remained a suspect, police did not question him again after their initial interview. Okay. The public outcry um, was that police should have done more to investigate him because, you know, once this was put out into the media, of course you have Why public. Why are you
1: putting a 13-year-old out into the media? It's also yes. the 60s. I keep reading it's the 60s. It's the 60s. It's the
0: 60s. And and not that we agree with it, right. but that it was a different time period. Yeah. So this is out in the media. There's public outcry. Like, why didn't they do more to investigate him? He was there at the time. Um, and in 1966 in Shelby, there was an organized crime group or gang, if you will, um, that, I was shocked to find this out, dominated the Shelby area. Really? Yes. And I... I don't, there's not like a name for them or thing right. that I saw, but I was like, wait, what? That's wild. What? And it was said that this, you know, crime group or gang, um, had protected Robert against police interrogation. So maybe there was that threat of violence or something and perhaps the gang threatened the police. I'm not really clear on all the details, but weird. I was very shocked to hear that. Officer Smith, who had interrogated him um, and other police officials, felt that Roseboro was guilty of the murder, but they stated they didn't have enough evidence to charge him, you know, against what the public said. I mean, they had to let him go. Yeah. Which I'm grateful for, as opposed to maybe, you know, trying to get a false confession. Right.
1: I mean, you know, if he did do it, then you have to prove it. Exactly. I mean, like you did with every other, So I mean, every other crime, like if. You have to prove it. You exactly. You can't just be like, I think they did it.
0: Well, and we've, in doing this podcast time after time, we've heard it to where someone just says, no, oh, no, I think you did it. Um, and that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in some time periods to get people executed. Right. You know? Yeah. So let me tell you a little more information about Robert Roseborough. Okay. Robert Louis Roseboro was born on April 30, 1953, in Shelby, North Carolina. Early on, Roseboro showed some mental delays, and those in town said he was, quote-unquote, not right. Roseboro was viewed as easily manipulated and joined a local gang who was involved in some unsavory business. Two years after Brenda Sue's murder, on the morning of June 22, 1968, a young girl and her mother went to Mary's Custom Towel Outlet on Dixie Street in Shelby. Mm. They hoped to do some shopping, but when the mother approached the door, she found that the store was locked with a closed sign hanging in the window. She found this pretty odd as the store always opened by 10 a.m. And even the sign in the window said, open 10 a.m. to, you know fill in the blank. Right. Um, And this was after 11 o'clock in the morning, so she was a little confused. Um, So the mother looked through the window and saw a young African-American male standing inside the display room. She knocked loudly against the front door in order to determine whether or not the store was open or closed. She thought maybe he was working there and did they close early or something that she missed? The mother turned to look at her daughter, who had been sitting in the family car waiting, and when she looked back through the window, the man was gone. She saw him again. This time, he was on the ground, looking around a table. She found this behavior to be very suspicious, very odd, and felt that she needed to go next door and call the police. Now, at the time, the building where the custom towel outlet was, was... In the middle of two other buildings, so it was like one large building that was divided. Okay, it's like a kind of like a mini shopping center, yeah. right? So, an older brick building, and on each side there were doctors' offices. Okay. So she went in one of the doctors' offices and called the police. It's a good thing she did, <laughs> um, because when the Shelby PD arrived on the scene 15 minutes later, which was approximately 11:30 a.m. They discovered that all the doors were either locked or barricaded. Through the windows, they saw an African-American male holding a pistol in his hand. Oh, no. As police peered through the windows some more, they noticed an individual lying on the ground with blood all around. Oh, no. Yeah. They ordered the young man to come out with his hands up. He refused their orders, so they threw a tear gas bomb through an open window. I guess they had, and when I say open window, everything had been barricaded, but I guess they were able to um, pierce through a window. Right, and, get yeah, something exactly. going in there. So they ended up throwing their tear gas in there. Eventually, the young man was forced out by all the smoke, mm-hmm. and he came out of the shop unarmed with his hands raised up. When police searched his person, they found keys in his pocket. These were actually the keys for the store. He had come in and locked all the doors so no one could get in. And they also found a cigarette lighter with the letters B-O-B, Bob, engraved on it. Remember, his name was Robert. Right. When the smoke cleared, the police entered the store. They discovered the nude body of Mrs. Mary Helen Williams, the shop owner, lying behind one of the display tables. Mrs. Williams was deceased, but her body was still warm and covered in blood. Hmm. Upon inspection of the body, the pathologist asserted that Mrs. Williams had gaping head wounds and four penetrating stab wounds to the chest and one to the abdomen. At the scene, police found scissors sticking out of her chest.
1: Oh, that's never
0: good. That's not a good way to die. No, no that's a bad no, way to go out. Yeah, no, I, I agree.
1: Scissors to the chest.
0: Yeah. It's not on my list. No. Mine is um like Rose from Titanic. Really old and I just die in my sleep. But say sudden heart attack all the way. Well, first I throw my uh large diamond into the ocean. Right. Tell um somebody my secrets. I'm surrounded on a ship by family photos and I die and I'm reunited with Leonardo DiCaprio in heaven.
1: I like that. For you. You. I, I like, like that, that for me, too. I like that. It's a good I way really, to go
0: out. I think so.
1: Not scissors to the chest, though. No. I'm not that's, feeling that. That's, well,
0: you don't want to feel <laughs> no. that. That is, that is definitely for certain. So, while she had not been sexually assaulted, she was found nude. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And her clothing and underwear were found discovered in a bathroom nearby. I I don't understand this nude thing like I, and this it, is
1: before the the other little girls
0: it's two years after two years
1: after yes uh, okay because i'm like well why is he not been why was he able to yes yeah, two years be after. out and about it's
0: two years after so i don't understand this is this just a thing like you know some people are like you know in in hopes of scaring you like remove your clothes and and maybe the has that force over you or that last sort of indignity. I don't know. Maybe.
1: I mean, especially in that time period too. Absolutely. I was like, no, not so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just don't understand. So, And maybe it was, like we said before, an attempt to sexually assault, but something happened or I don't know. At the scene, officers found a pair of sunglasses, a pocket knife, and a pistol with the hand grip broken off. And this was all laying next to her clothes. The pistol grip was found near the body, and it appeared that she had been pistol whipped with the gun until the grip broke oh, off. Oh no. This is overkill. That's a lot of anger. That is so much anger. I don't she know. She owned thank a you. towel shop. That's weird. I think about. <laughs> total segue for a second, but I also think about the days when we had specialized towel shops. You know what I mean? Like, now we just, you know, go to the Walmart Mm -hmm. or the Target or Amazon. Yeah. But, I mean, it's very specialized. Anyway. (laughs) It was a a trip down memory lane that Holly just took. (laughs) I remember the days. I actually don't, because I was not alive in 1966. I was like, I don't
1: think they've No. No. I have no memory of any type of... The only memory I have of any type of, like, specialty, like, even specialty, like, sewing shop was, um... There was one by the old Wild Wings Cafe in Asheville when I was a kid. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I try not to go downtown. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, there was, like, a linen store where they sold linens. They sold towels, but it was, like, linens and, Mm -hmm. um more like home goods stuff, like not just specifically towels. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Sorry. <laughs> Cyber. All right, so this time Roseboro was arrested. He was the gentleman who came out of the store. Right. Yeah. Uh, and was charged with first degree murder. Obviously. I mean, yeah. Public outcry was immense, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, and you have to remember during this time of racial segregation in the South Citizens were determined to ensure that a conviction against a black man for killing a white woman occurred. I mean,
1: it's kind of like, it sounds like he did it. I mean, pretty point blank
0: simple. Yeah. I would hope he would be convicted. Correct. And and in this case, it's there's not... It's not race. It's, no, this is... It's just a guy who... It's you a, did this. You committed murder. You planned, murdered that's very simple. another person. Exactly. Aggressively. Yes, very aggressively. And rumors spread around the town that the Ku Klux Klan, who were very popular in that area, were planning to kill Roseboro. So, for Roseboro's own protection, he was sent to another county for trial, which took place in 1969, a year after the murder.
1: Yeah. I mean, at that point, it kind of has to be. Like, it's a small area. You can't have a big trial like that. No. In your own county. There's
0: such bias. Right. You know, that's not a fair trial. Yeah. No, you got to go somewhere else. Exactly. During the trial, which lasted, get this, two days all right (laughs) seems very short to me concise
1: i like it very very (laughs) concise
0: a pathologist got on the stand and testified for the prosecution that the blood found on roseborough's clothes that day was type a which matched mrs williams blood type remember back in 1966 we didn't have dna evidence so the only real way of blood comparison was just by typing the blood so another witness who worked as a clerk at a shop near the crime scene stated that she had sold that pair of sunglasses to Mr. Roseborough the morning of the murder between 9.30 and 10 a.m., which is, you know, probably an, half an hour to an right. hour before. Another witness stated that they saw Mr. Roseborough with a knife a few weeks before the killing. This was the same knife found at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Roseboro got on the stand himself. Oh my. In his own defense. That's never good. That is never good. Don't do that. Yeah, no. And stated that the police had lied throughout the entire investigation. And he asserted that he had absolutely no motive to kill Mrs. Williams. As this is the part where you go, what? So he said that he had no motive to kill her because there had been no rape or robbery involved. Um yeah. So so you're saying <laughs> I mean, I need some motivation here. I mean, obviously. I mean, I need money or sex here, so neither of those occurred. Neither of those occurred, so at the end of the day, you know, he's saying, Why would I have killed her? That's a really that's a really bad that's a defense. defense. It's Dude, not good. It's not good. But do remember. remember well. Right. He was probably 15 or 16 years old at this time and intellectually delayed
1: yeah i mean but hopefully you would have a lawyer who would say right hey maybe don't
0: maybe we don't let's not
1: say that we don't do that yeah i mean like this is already bad
0: for you it's already not going to go well maybe we don't make it worse how many times have i told a child (laughs) or a young person yes you're thinking it in your head but you don't say
1: Say it like say I know that. you don't like that teacher. I understand, but you cannot call them a bad word yeah. in class. You cannot do that. Exactly. Just wait
0: till you're home and like say, I mean you can think it all day long. That's what I do. Like I don't say it to Haley. Right. But then I right. I go home and I send her nasty emails under mm. fake email accounts. <gasps> it's Just, been you. It's been me. I'm sorry. It's, there's a revelation all right it's all right i live for it she loves it kind of love it kind of fires her up a little bit gets me going
1: (laughs) i love negativity
0: (laughs) there's her kink she likes negativity that's great oh okay back Um, to our story so Roseboro claimed that yes, while he was in the building that morning, because he had been seen by everybody, including the police, who right. demanded he come out with his hands up, he said he had nothing to do with the murder. And he explained that Mrs. Williams' blood just so happened to get on his clothing and nothing more. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Sure. Sure. Obviously, Roseboro's testimony hurt him more than helped him.
1: Um, yeah. There,
0: that's a shock. I
1: can't imagine
0: why. Um the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder and he was sentenced to death. Mm. But shortly after his conviction, however, in 1970, his mm. sentence was changed from the death penalty to life in prison. i
1: to say yeah. I mean, even then, even in the 70s, we weren't so much convicting children to death
0: well but you gotta think in the 70s that was during that period of death penalty reform so like people like charles manson who had a death sentence that's it was true. you know exchanged out for a life sentence so in the early 70s this was very common yeah um so that's not surprising Roseboro is currently 68 years old Damn. and is serving his sentence at anson correctional near charlotte he is currently there. I mean, you can go to North Carolina Department of Corrections and, and see, see his mugshot. He's there. Wow. Yeah. So his jailhouse records, because I pulled them. <laughs>
1: of course you did.
0: Of course I did. indicated that he had 27 different infractions over the last 40 plus years, which include things like provoking an assault, using profane language, substance possession, and disobeying orders. It remained that Brenda Sue's case was unsolved, and even though most people thought that Rose Burrow was guilty of her murder, he was never brought up on charges. All right, Haley, are you ready for some twists in this case? Because I'm yeah. not done yet. Oh God, it's not the end we of this. I we were done. All right. Not... <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm ready. I was, I was like, I have thoughts, but all right, let's go.
0: All right. Well, do you think that he's guilty of this? I don't of know Brenda Sue's I don't murder. know. Um, Do you think he was guilty of Mrs. Williams' murder?
1: From what you have presented thus far, yes. Okay. All but right. for the other one, I don't know. Yeah.
0: I mean they are similar. But they're you
1: don't usually see a crossover between ages like that. Exactly. That's the thing. Like usually, if you kill kids, you kill kids. Right. You don't usually see it in really any instance. Right. That big of a crossover.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So Maybe some similarities, but differences. You know, and it could be, in a sense, a copycat. Right. I mean, he could have heard about that one. Read about it in the newspaper. And did
1: it this way, but had nothing to do with the kid's death. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm leaning. Okay. Right now. Different. I'm thinking different killers.
0: Okay. Hold that thought. Gotcha. All right. So... After the death of Brenda Sue, her family obviously wanted justice, Mm -hmm. and they never got it. So throughout the early 2000s, so we're moving forward in time, about 40 years, Brenda's younger sisters, Patricia Buff and Mary McSwain, begged Shelby police to reopen and examine their sister's case. Yeah. They were told, though, that many of the case files were missing. It's not uncommon. And it had been years. So in 2005, 39 years after the murder, police spent four days searching for the missing case files. I appreciate that. I do too. That they're not just like, well, they're missing. So
1: they're not in their labeled spot. So they must not be here.
0: Exactly. So whoopsie. Um, so the files were finally discovered in an unmarked box along with files that were related to the Mary Helen Williams murder um relieved police began scouring through the box but found that a great deal of evidence was missing again found the
1: files now we've got the the files
0: don't have the evidence so they were not able to find things like the dress that she was wearing oh no the makeup compact the branches hair samples two vials of blood nail clippings and a rock that was used to kill her all of these items had been collected back in '66, but were not in the evidence box or boxes. How does
1: one lose branches? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look, I'm just. That is true. I, I mean, mean, that's a pretty big box.
1: That's a lot. The rock branches. do they just put them back into the woods, and we're like, all right, be back with nature? Or... That's
0: what I don't understand. And. You know, I've heard before where police stations move, or they there's fires, and or floods. floods, and so things are destroyed. You know, it, it doesn't mention that in this case, at least I didn't read that. I mean, I don't know. That's weird. You know, maybe someone really not knowing what they were doing and cleaning out stuff and getting rid of things. I like, well, we
1: gotta get, check these branches. You're like, what are these branches just
0: doing in here? To be honest. <laughs> Now, not in a crime scene situation, but I was thinking about this. I tend to be a thrower aware versus oh, someone who I'm not a hoarder. So I was thinking though to myself, if I had come in someone else's house, I would probably just be like, "Eh, they don't need it." Eh. I would be ho- a horrible therapist on hoarders mm-hmm. because I would just tell them, "Eh, you don't need that. Throw that away." Chuck it. Get rid I, of I feel it. like I'm a good therapist, but but not for people who have you know issues. have hoarding issues. I. I don't think I'd be very helpful in that scenario. <laughs> anyway, so it could have been someone who's like, eh, we don't need those branches, just chuck it. Maybe.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So police records indicated that the last person to handle the evidence was Sheriff Allen. This is the person who had received it in August of 1966 and after after it came back from the crime lab in Raleigh. So first all the evidence went to Raleigh to be assessed and then came back to Shelby where... It would have sat for years, right? but it was missing. The only evidence that police were able to find in 2005 was a bloody handprint discovered on the bottom of Brenda's shoe. Okay. Obviously, it was an adult handprint. It was not Barbara's. I called her Barbara. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was an adult handprint, not Brenda's. Right. So determined to give the family answers to the decades-long mystery, police sought court and familial approval to exhume Brenda's body, where it had been laid to rest at Spring Hill Church Road Cemetery since 1966. By this point, her body had been in the ground for nearly 40 years, and her wooden casket had begun to disintegrate. Her body had decomposed greatly since air and water were able to encompass her grave. So only a few bones were left intact as much evidence as possible was taken from her body. And Brenda was laid back to rest again in May of 2006 after a public memorial service. And actually in doing my research, I found a 2006 obituary for Brenda. Yeah, which I thought was really neat. And it listed her mother and eight siblings as those she was survived by. So obviously her father had passed. Um, But it was nice to hear that her mother was still alive to see that there was some movement in the case. That would, as a parent, that would make me very happy. So, around the time of Brenda's memorial service in 2006, the Shelby Star, a local newspaper, ran an article about the 40th anniversary of her murder and that the case was still cold. A short time later, a woman named Lori Lail came forward after reading the article. She asserted that prior to her grandfather, Earl Mickey Parker's death in 2002, he gave a deathbed confession.
1: I love a deathbed confession. Isn't
0: that the best? Oh, I know.
1: That's my favorite thing.
0: And as I mentioned, that's part of like before I go meet Leonardo DiCaprio in heaven, mm-hmm. I will share all my secrets. Tell I don't really have that many. The secrets. You know.
1: There's. You don't need them. You don't need them in death.
0: No, you don't. You don't. I need
1: them though. I like know. I need to know them. Oh, oh. Before you die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need to keep... No. No, no, no. All right. Wow. Well, I want the secrets.
0: So I was engaged to this man so I got <laughs> on this ship, and he gave me this blue heart of the ocean. Que de la mer. Okay. So, <laughs> back to our story. So, Lori, the granddaughter, claims that her grandfather said that there was a man named Thurman Price who had admitted to killing Brenda.
1: Whoa.
0: In 1966, Thurman Price was 40 years old, and he was living very close to where Brenda's body was found. However, property records indicated that Price actually didn't purchase that home near where Brenda's body was found until 1974, so it's really unclear if he was actually living there or maybe he was renting the property. Maybe. He was close by, something to that effect. So... On February 12th, 2007, police went to Price's home and arrested him. Whoa. So, maybe they felt like this was enough evidence to go and arrest him. So, when interviewed, Price denied that he had anything to do with Brenda's murder. He was confused, like, what are you doing here? He was released four days later on a $50,000 bond. So, they got something. Yeah. Because, got something and also... Who just has $50,000 laying around? Not me. Not me either. Interesting. The indictment against Price revealed testimony by Lori Lale stating that her grandfather explained in accurate detail, according to the police, information about the crime and crime scene that few people would have known. Lori actually called Brenda Sue's family in 2006 and told them that Thurman Price was her killer, but did not mention her grandfather's name. Police did not feel that Lori's grandfather, Earl Mickey Parker, was innocent in all of this, and may had had something to do with Brenda's murder.
1: Yeah, but you don't just confess, like, oh, I know this thing, like, if you had nothing to do
0: with it right. on your... Deathbed. Unless you know, it could have been a thing like, "Yeah, we were out of the bar." My buddy told me this story, and right, but she, but again, you would say something before exactly dying, and to make a deathbed confession, you're right. Does seem like mm, he's a little guilty, yeah, a little bit. So, on May tenth, two thousand seven, Earl Parker's body was exhumed. <gasps> from the Sunset Cemetery. Now, this is the same cemetery where Brenda had been reinterred the year before. Oh my God. Yeah. So police wanted to see if Parker's handprint would match the one found on Brenda's shoe. Damn. Unfortunately. Oh
1: my God.
0: (laughs) Tests were inconclusive. No. While Parker had only been dead at that point for five years, his hands were too badly decomposed to get a quality print. This is why... Dang it. <laughs> see, these are scenarios where embalming is a good thing. I know. Like, I... Ugh. Dang it. So.
1: Can we just make a new rule? Like, whenever you die, like, one of the things... You know how they, like, the funeral home comes and they take your body or whatever. And, like, one of the th- rules is that you have to be fingerprinted. Oh. And, like, I know there'd be so many people freaking out about, like, it's not against my right...
0: But, I mean, we've already established that no one really owns your body when right. you die. you're Not dead. you. So, yeah, go for it. Fingerprint. I feel like that would solve so many. We wouldn't have to keep digging people up. Right. And do know that to exhume a body, I mean, you have to go through a court system. Yeah, it's Like, insane. you can't just go and, you know, dig up a body it for yank out of the ground. shits and giggles, you know. Exactly. Oh. Like, I want to dig up grandpa. I just want to be close to him again. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so
1: creepy uh, Ooh, leave dead people alone just just let them rot let them live not live let them die let them stay dead i don't know
0: let would say stay dead i don't i don't want them to let them be. just just let them let them disintegrate yeah
1: that's, that's fine
0: all right so a little quick history on thurman price and earl parker These two were really close friends and they were indicted in 1954, so we're talking 50 years before this, on charges of rape. They were accused of sexually assaulting a 12 year old girl named Shirley Morrison. Think about it, she was 12. What the hell? The two men pled guilty and were each given, this pisses me off, a three to five year suspended sentence. Absolutely not. Required to pay $240 in court costs and maintain employment. Um, They were also not allowed to drink alcohol because apparently alcohol was what led these men to harm this young girl. Sure it was. Not that they're horrible creatures. It was the alcohol. I don't believe it was the alcohol.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it wasn't.
0: It was no. (laughs) Thurman Price awaited trial for years as police and prosecutors worked hard to find supporting evidence in order to get a conviction. During that time, Parker's deathbed confession was ruled admissible. And Lori herself testified at a hearing in 2010 that her grandfather admitted to her that Thurman Price had killed Brenda Sue. Lori claimed that she came to visit her grandfather, who was dying, in a hospital room at Cleveland Memorial in 2002. When he turned to her and proclaimed, I've done some bad things with my life, and before I can move on, I need to get them off my chest. Oh, my God. Parker recounted to his granddaughter that that night before Brenda's murder on July 26, 1966, he had walked to a bootlegger's house and met Thurman Price there. The two drank for several hours until the early morning. As they were walking along South Lafayette Street, they noticed Brenda Sue walking by herself. Mm. They decided to sneak up on the girl with the plan to rape her in the nearby woods. According to Parker, Thurman Price grabbed the girl and dragged her off the road and towards the brush. At that point, they noticed a young African-American boy, possibly Robert Roseborough, playing in a field nearby. At that point, Price yelled at him to get home. And the boy walked away brenda fought relentlessly against her attackers and price struggled to remove her clothing brenda sue scratched price in the face with her fingernails which enraged him he grabbed a nearby rock and hit her in the face with it he told parker that they had to kill her or they would end up doing real time this time around Mm. They beat Brenda in the head until she stopped moving and covered her body with brush, and the two left the scene. Dang. <sighs> yeah. It's crazy. Thurman Price always maintained that he was innocent and that the confession was merely ramblings of a dying man. Thurman never made it to trial. He died on August 4th, 2012. So that is the story of Brenda Sue Brown. It's still unsolved in a way, Right. as many of the suspects are dead. And I will note that in 2010, Robert Roseborough was subpoenaed to testify at a hearing regarding Brenda's murder. Mm-hmm. And Roseborough stated that he had nothing to do with the murder and that he couldn't even remember where he was that day. He stated in his testimony, you're talking about something that happened 40 years ago. How can I recall something that long ago? Easily. I mean, if you murdered someone, right. you would. Yeah. He would remember We're not talking that. about
1: like what did you have for breakfast on a random Tuesday forty right. years ago. We're talking about did you literally murder someone? Did you
0: murder someone? Yeah, yeah. And you don't I that. think the thing was they were also looking to um, verify that he was the young man who was seen in the field mm-hmm. that Price had said get on go home, mm-hmm. you know? So they weren't able to get that. So there's so many moving parts here that they don't really, you know, had they gone to trial, would they been able to ensure a conviction? I don't know. We're talking about someone who admitted to it and is now dead. So
1: I would say probably not if there's no yeah. physical evidence.
0: I would think probably not either, unfortunately. But it seems highly likely. Right. And it would make sense if there were two men involved. Mm -hmm. Because the force of how she was killed, someone else like neatly folding her clothing. Mm
1: -hmm. That's somebody who feels bad about it.
0: Right. So maybe one did not feel bad, but the other did. Um, And then trying to hide the body. Right. With branches. And that makes sense. Again, someone's putting brush someone's cutting down the tree limbs someone you know so it makes sense there would be two people Mm -hmm. and they had a history of raping young girls right and again they were drinking which that was their excuse back in 1954 i don't know i mean what do you guys think when i came across this case i was like what that's crazy so the family of brenda sue brown kind of got answers and yet hasn't gotten answers right um but yeah that's crazy if brenda sue were alive now she would be almost 66 years old wow yeah crazy yeah crazy anyway so that is my story i know It's a heavy heavy one. one. It is a heavy one. It is a heavy one. But thank you guys for sticking with me. And thank you, Haley. Yeah. So Haley, if they want to give us some of their input, how do they do that?
1: Yeah. So You can send us an email at mountainmysteries.appalachian at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Mountain Mysteries Tales from Appalachia. uh, Or find us on Instagram at mountainmysteries.appalachia. And if you want some extra bonus episodes, um, and we actually, um, we should have done this beginning, but we actually got a new, um, Patreon member, Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Thank you, Teresa. Oh, Teresa,
0: you're about to get so much great We appreciate
1: you. Um, so yes, you can get some bonus episodes from us. Um, all kinds of fun Fun stuff. Yep. Yep. We take it out of the mountains quite regularly
0: which is really fun
1: yeah we get to like pull some of their crazy cases from across the country and that's been really fun
0: it is amazing so yes join us on our patreon we also want to give a shout out um to one of our listening areas and i want to grow i want to grow you want to grow i do i want to get taller okay i am not i think i want to don't tell me that i think i want to go out of the country. Okay. I want to go to Brisbane, oh, Australia. Nice. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Thank you. So good day, mate. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.